Where Murder Meets Mystery contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, cool friends! Let's take a walk down the street where murder meets mystery, a podcast exploring the murderous, the mysterious, and everything that lies beyond the beyond. I'm Marissa. And I'm Grace. Hi, Grace. Hi! Are you ready? Are you like, are you, you rearing to go? I am. <laughs> let's diddly do this. Before we started recording, I said, let's diddly do this. Um, listeners, there are supposedly 70 of you now. Uh, <sighs> we, I, apparently we have unique, 70 unique listeners, which is really, really exciting. We're very I'm- close to 100. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little upset because this morning it was 69. (laughs) What? Was it really? Yeah. And I was like, I can't wait to tell jokes about that. We missed that moment. Oh, no. Yeah. So one of you fuck off so we can have seriously. (laughs) Please stop listening. Uh, No, we just released episode four this morning. We record a week early to try and stay on top of things. And there's already 13 plays. So I feel... Super good about that. I'm feeling good with like the numbers we're getting. I'm feeling good as well. And I think it has something to do with the fact that I had a large Starbucks latte (gasps) and uh, Twizzlers for breakfast. Yummy. That is the breakfast of champions. None of the Wheaties, none of the balance. Listen, my my body is a temple (laughs) (laughs) and I treat her as such. Hey, that is luxury food. So... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Are you ready to hear Grace's case? I would be honored to hear Grace's case. I I have to be real. It is, it's a lot. It's heavy, but it's so interesting. I, mm-hmm. I, it's haunting me. So, okay. Okay. I'm glad we're recording midday. Yes. You, okay. You know, I read about murder. <laughs> like that's all I do in my free time. Yes. And I think in general, there's one murder weapon that freaks me out the most. Mm-hmm. Can you guess? An axe. Is it? You know me so well. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yay. I feel like we've talked about this probably. <laughs> so I'm not like super surprised I guessed it, but those are just no. the conversations we have. Yeah. And we're both talking about axe body spray, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would be literally terrified to be caught into a cloud of Axe body spray. A regular oh, f- Axe? Fine. Oh. Like Axe body spray? No. Fucking like chocolate Axe. Do you remember that? Oh what? my God. In middle school, there was chocolate Axe and all the no. boys fucking like drowned in it in the locker room and they would just come out smelling like artificial chocolate. Fucking Oh my gross. gosh, I don't remember that at all. I remember like the knockoff Abercrombie Axe, which like even Abercrombie alone smelled like a instant headache. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's toxic. Like there's no way it's good for you. I don't know. No. Anyway. No. Um, yeah, no, a, a real axe. Like a, like, okay. a, like, a like an axe, you know. That uh, that was a knife. I don't even that psycho is a knife. I, I'm so stupid. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm thinking about the shining. Did you ever see the, I'm not gonna ask. Never mind. Don't don't <laughs> never mind. It's the no. shining. The Shining, where he goes, here's Johnny. That scene, he uh, has an act with the two girls at the end of the hallway. Yep. Come play yes. with us. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I know something. And 
And red rum, red rum. Yes. Yeah, uh, but no, axe murders are not only violent, but the perpetrator has to be willing to take their time. It's this kind of crime is really physically demanding, which is gross, right? Like that you have to yeah. be committed, committed. Um, this particular case has been called a middle-class Menendez murder. What? The Menendez brothers? This is a middle-class Menendez because the Menendez is, they were millionaires, (gasps) millionaires, right? Oh yeah, they were high class, upper class. But like, I love the name play. I appreciate that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So... Today, ghoul friends, we travel to Del Mar, New York. Yeah, of the sea. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> of the sea. Listen to you. Okay. Bilingual. Um, to explore the malicious murder of Peter Porco. Some more alliteration. Oh, gosh. Okay. His last name is Porco, which it's not funny, and I'm not going to laugh at his no, last but now name. Now I want pork tacos. <laughs> Don't you? Carnitas? <laughs> It's really an unfortunate name. And like the fact that he's Peter Porco is, I feel terrible for him and his family, but still I'm just like, it's, it's a little distracting. The irony of it. Yeah. I could just call him Peter P. Or PP. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Never mind. That makes it even harder not to laugh. (laughs) Maybe just Pete. Just good old Pete. What have we said about thinking these through before you say <laughs> Girl, you know I don't do that. That's why we have to like meticulously edit these things because wow. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. Oh, no. So on the outside, the Porcos were a normal well-to-do family. Peter Porco, 52, he was an appellate court clerk. His wife, Joan Porco, 54, was a school speech pathologist. Together, they had two children, Christopher, age 21, who was a University of Rochester student, and Jonathan, 23, who was a U.S. Navy lieutenant and worked on a nuclear submarine. Wow. Okay. Peter had a widespread reputation as a diligent man who was dedicated to his work. So when he didn't show up to work on November 15th, 2004, his colleague, a man named Michael Hart drove to his house at 36 Broccoli Drive to check in on him. That's a lie. What? Broccoli? <laughs> That's the street yeah. name? Not, not broccoli like green giant broccoli. Not, bro- not the vegetable. Okay. Broccoli, like- B-R-O-C-K-L-E-Y. But I understand oh, your confusion. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, when I can only hear things, that's I'm like, it's got to be well, another I've joke. Well, I've also... I've also only been reading this in my head, so I didn't put it together either. Yeah. Broccoli. It's fine. That's um, interesting, though, that that he immediately drove there. Like, why you wouldn't call or maybe call his wife to figure out, you know, if he's sick or something. You just immediately drive there. I feel like that's wild. Dedicated. No? Yeah. I don't know. He he was he was worried about his friend, I guess. Mm, yeah. Um. Anyway, Broccoli Drive, uh, home of the Veggie Tales. <laughs> Okay, 36 Broccoli Drive. When Michael walked up to the front door, he was stricken by something odd. Struck? Stricken. He was stricken by something odd. Struck, yeah, yeah, whatever. Struck? Struck-a-did. Struck-a-tad. That's it. Yes, for sure. (laughs) The house key was still in the lock, but the door was shut. 
Peering through the window, Michael saw a scene that would haunt him and me for the rest of his life. Anyone. (laughs) Literally. It was the lifeless body of his colleague, Peter Porco, drenched in blood. Oh, gosh. Local police were dispatched and arrived to find a brutal scene. Peter had endured multiple massive head wounds with a flat, sharp object, which was later determined to be an axe. He was pronounced dead at the scene. There were a number of blood trails leading in various directions away from Peter's body. Police followed one trail upstairs to discover what they had most feared. Entering the room cautiously, officers noted that nothing appeared to have been stolen. In fact, it was far worse. There was blood on nearly every surface, indicating a violent attack that had started in the master bedroom. A fireman's axe belonging to the Porcos was found on the bed. The grimmest discovery was the body of Joan Porco, which lay in the bed, having sustained significant blows to her face and head, leaving part of her brain exposed. No. Furthering their suspicion that the attack had not been a robbery, officers noted that despite her horrific injuries, Joan was still wearing her jewelry, so they didn't think anyone had taken her jewelry. Okay. It was then that officers got the shock of their lives when Joan fucking moved. She was alive. (gasps) Shut up. Does that not give you chills everywhere? Ew, yeah. So did I'm sure you're going to say it next, but did she say anything or like? I'm going to do what I do best here and wildly speculate. Okay, great. Love it. (laughs) Um, But I'm guessing they heard her breathe or moan or saw movement or something. But either way, can you fucking imagine? No, brain's exposed. That's right. And she fucking moved. I would shit my pants. Yeah. Like right there. Fight, flight, or what was that? Shit your pants. Yeah. There's a third one that I said option C. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You said hardcore, hardcore C. Yeah. Hardcore C. I'm a shit your pants are. Yeah. Um, so first responders immediately went to work at once attempting to stabilize Joan, Mm -hmm. who had sustained three blows from an ax to the face. And when they attempted to apply an oxygen mask, they were horrified to find that they couldn't locate her fucking mouth. Holy shit. Can you imagine? No, I literally can't picture that. I cannot literally can't. I'm trying to. Wow. This is, by the way, I heard about this case from Forensic Files. There's an episode it's season 13. I don't know the episode number, but it's called Family Ties. Okay. And they go really in depth. And a lot of the information that I'm going to use today is from that episode. And I'll link it in the description box. Mm-hmm. Um, or Marissa will. Thank you, Marissa. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, no. So that fucks you up for life. Yeah. I mean, you should see a therapist anyway. Right. We here at WMMM, uh, we definitely advocate for mental health. So take Absolutely. care of yourselves. Yeah. Your brain is an organ. And or talk space or just find a local therapist, you know? That's right. Uh, Joan Porco was rushed to the hospital where she underwent a 12-hour surgery to repair her face and was placed into a medically induced coma. Wow. This was only after Detective Christopher Bodish, B-O-W-D-I-S-H, of the Bethlehem Police Department, fearing Joan would not survive, asked her if she knew her attacker. According to Detective Bodish, the movement Joan made with her head was feeble but clear. It was a nod. Yes. <gasps> Being familiar with the family, the detective then asked if it was her oldest son, Jonathan. Joan shook her head no. Then another question. Did Christopher do this to you? The answer was clear. Yes. Oh my gosh. He immediately went to their sons. 
Yeah. Wow. I wonder if he knew some drama that was going on. Yeah, and and we'll we'll get to all the drama because there's a lot. But I think that he assumed that a crime of this caliber, there has to be anger behind it, right? That's not like money motivated or um, meaning like a robbery. Um, It's not because a robbery gone wrong. Usually there's some indication from my understanding of like some like the perpetrator panicked and like shot them and it's only like one shot and then they leave. Right. Um, Not fucking hack them to pieces. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. So Joan um, (laughs) forensic file says Joan fingered Christopher (laughs) as her attacker. And I'm like, why, why would you use that word? You couldn't have choosed to look at me. I'm like, you couldn't (laughs) have choosed better words. Oh my gosh. You couldn't have chosen something a little less (laughs) suggestive to us with immature brains. That's not even suggestive. That is a direct statement. (laughs) But we're interpreting it completely immaturely. So thanks a lot, Forensic Files. Not such a serious show after all. I don't care what anyone says. Willie is hysterical. (laughs) And so is fucking fingering. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Okay. (laughs) Joan named Christopher as her attacker very early on. Um, This was before she was rushed into surgery. So we're going to go back to the Porco's house, okay, because we have to talk more about what investigators are starting to piece together. This next part is also my justification for choosing this case because it's freaking bananas, okay? Okay. The attack on the Porcos was obviously a brutal one, and it was surmised pretty quickly that the axe was, in fact, the weapon. It was lying on the bed um, next to Joan. Okay, great. Great disposal of the murder weapon. Like, what? Is he even trying to hide it? (laughs) Right. Other than the blood of the victims, there was little to no forensic evidence. The only thing they were able to find was a a single thumbprint on the – which a thumbprint? I'm like, who touches something with their thumbs and just their thumbs? That's weird. I don't know. Other than like a touch Murderers. ID, I don't know. Murderers. It's part of the dark triad. Is touching touching stuff with your thumbs. thumbs? Oh my gosh! They found a single thumbprint on the uh, phone box, like the like in a neighborhood, the thing mm-hmm. that has all the phone lines. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? Sure. Just phone box. I don't know. Yeah, they found a fingerprint there. Um, that was really close to where the Porco's phone line was. And we'll talk more about that. So the attack on the Porco's was obviously a brutal one. The axe was determined to be the weapon. What's interesting is what they determined while reenacting the last moments of Peter Porco's life. Peter had sustained 16 blows to the head. Wow. With the fireman's axe. Blows that left him with his lower jaw missing. Oof. The fact that his injuries were so much more severe than Jones, who only sustained, uh, she only sustained three blows to the face. Yeah. Um, Just three blows with a fucking axe. I mean, yeah. The fact that his injuries were so much more severe would later lead investigators to believe he was the intended target. Yeah. He was like the object of the rage. Based on the mass amounts of Peter's blood found there, it was obvious that the attack on Peter and Joan had begun in the master bedroom. Why then was Peter discovered by Michael Hart lying at the bottom of the stairs in the front entryway? This was a floor away from the master bedroom. Yeah. How the hell did Peter get downstairs? The theory is, this is fucking crazy. The theory is that following the attack, Peter was still alive. 
The multiple impacts from the axe had left his neocortex severely damaged. This is the part of the brain in charge of conscious thought, language, and reasoning, among other higher functions. Okay. Despite these injuries, however, Peter's basal ganglia paleocortex, otherwise known as his primal brain, was left intact. This is the part of the brain that controls innate behaviors. The four Fs, school friends, feeding, fighting, fleeing, and fucking. Really? Is that legit it? Yeah, for real. Reproduction. Oh my gosh. I've never, I haven't heard of any of this. I did not learn any of this in psychology. Maybe I did and I just don't remember. Isn't it cool? It's so interesting. Now, this is insane, but investigators believe that after the attack, Peter woke the fuck up and said, a lot of you have been asking about my morning routine. Oh my gosh. Went live on Instagram. He fucking said, time for work. That's right. Because the primal brain controls basic and routine functions, a.k.a. shit you do every day, based on a trail of Peter's blood left throughout the house, they were able to trace his movements, which followed steps that he did every morning. Peter had gone to the bathroom, brushed his teeth, started the coffee in the kitchen, made his lunch, and even started to empty the fucking dishwasher, all while bleeding With like out of his half face. of his face gone? Yes. What? They believe that after this, Porco then stepped outside on the porch to get the paper and accidentally Gosh. locked himself out of the house. No problem, though, since the Porcos kept a spare key under the mat, which no. Peter then used to unlock the door. No. But was it bloody? Like, I, there's no way. Yes. Yes, what? They, they, there was a trail of blood leading down into the bathroom, down the stairs, and they're able to test based on like, um, I think the viscosity, which is like the thickness yeah. of the blood, how long ago it was planted there, basically. Ugh. Planted is the wrong word, but. Yeah. Imagine being a na- the neighbor that like is walking their dog and sees someone with half a face coming out of their, and, and like <laughs> looking for the spare key because they locked themselves out. What? No one fucking saw him. Isn't that crazy? I hope. I would hope if that happened to me, someone would see me. So here's the, here's the thing. And, and I, that was my first thought as well. Is I'm like, how did no one witness this, right? But they later determined that the murder was likely committed between 1 and 2 in the morning. Oh, interesting. Um, which tells us that after he was attacked, he like just woke up and was like, alert i guess and was just walking around isn't it's just like so bizarre it's terrifying so he used the spare key to unlock the door he began to go up the stairs at this point but only made it a single step before he collapsed Mm. succumbing to his fatal injuries and that's where michael hart found him like six hours later or whatever so let's go back to joan in the hospital she's in a coma so police launch a manhunt for the porco's son son chris Okay, who was attending Rochester University, which is about four hours away from the town of Del Mar, just outside of Albany. Apparently, receiving a call from a reporter at the Times Union, 21-year-old Christopher called police and inquired about the well-being of his parents. So someone called him and like tipped him off, I guess, and told him like, hey, your parents have been attacked. So Christopher, in response, calls police to ask about his parents. The same Christopher who his mom had named as her attacker a short time earlier. Yeah. Now I'm gonna play the 911 calls for you guys <gasps> first. Yes. And then we'll and then we'll chat about it because I want you to decide for yourself initially how you feel about them. Okay. These are both from CBS News and they're clipped together, two separate calls. So there's a brief pause between the two calls, and there's like a female dispatcher and then a male dispatcher. And this is Christopher calling. This is Christopher calling to ask about his parents. Okay. Uh, my name is Chris Corco. I was just called by the Times Union saying that my parents were found dead this afternoon. 
Marissa, your thoughts? Tell me. Liar. He's a liar. You think he's lying? I think he's lying. That was way too calm. If my if I was told my parents were dead, I'd freak. But granted. He sounds like he's fucking ordering Chinese food. Yeah. Like, what is he? Yeah. Yeah, and I'll have an egg roll. Uh, I will. I'll say, I, I don't know how I would react in this situation. Um, yeah. But I know that I am probably a little more paranoid than others and yeah. tend to over- uh freak out in situations uh like Mm -hmm. like if i call my mom and she's not answering and i see that she's at home because i do track my mother's location i freak out i'm like oh my gosh she's on the floor dead um so i may be not the best person to (laughs) what they would do in this situation or to judge a phone call but it just sounds suspicious it just sounds odd that yeah but he's giving himself like He's making his whereabouts known, which makes me think he's trying to cover for himself, um, talking about the last time he saw them. I mean, granted, those are all prompted questions the dispatcher asked, but it's just interesting that he's willing to give that information as if he's trying to be cooperative to seem less suspect. Interesting. Yeah. And he he doesn't – he's not even tongue-tied or anything. Right. Like, he's not even like, what? The, where are my parents? Like, he's – there's no nervousness. Mm-hmm. Like, it just sounds like he's – like I said, he's ordering Chinese food. Right. That's what it sounds like. So – After he was taken into custody, Christopher was cooperative with law enforcement during the interview process. Mm -hmm. He submitted to a DNA test and allowed the officers to examine his body for physical evidence or defensive wounds. When told his mother had placed him at the scene, Christopher was adamant that his mother likely didn't know what she was saying, which I think was, given what they knew then, was a fair point. I mean, she had been attacked in the face with an axe. Right. However... Just three weeks after her attack, Joan Porco was awake. What? More importantly, she was talking. And now Joan recanted her earlier statement, and now she was adamant that there was no way Christopher could have been there. Interesting. What? Yeah. So she she takes back her initial accusation. Mm-hmm. She stood with her son from the beginning of the trial, which we'll talk about, even writing an appeal to the Times Union saying, quote, Unfortunately, the horror and unbearable sadness I continue to feel as a result of the loss of Peter has been dramatically intensified by the trauma that our cherished son, Christopher, has been forced to endure. 
I am absolutely positive that my son was in no way involved in this heinous crime, hmm. end quote. Do we think she's just scared of him? I think that Christopher, and, and like I said, we'll, we'll get more into like his, I guess his, his MO maybe. Um, but he's, he's a very manipulative person and we'll talk about like his history of lying and stuff like that. Mm. And I think that he was able to talk his mom cause he was able to visit her that whole time. He wasn't in police custody. <sighs> so I'm like, was he fucking talking to her while she's in the coma? Like we yeah. don't know, you know? Um, the DA's office investigated other leads, but hit dead end after dead end until there was only one person left who investigators still couldn't rule out. Christopher Porco. Remember that the Porcos have been nicknamed the middle class Menendez family, which is true in that they were members of the middle class. Both Joan and Peter earned a modest living, but still more than enough to meet the basic needs of themselves and their two sons. If a classmate or friend were to ask Christopher Porco, however, his family was extravagantly wealthy, owning multiple properties and vacation homes. Chris had a reputation for lying, even in the eyes of his parents, and due to serious conflict about finances, the relationship had in recent months, or the months leading up to the murder, the relationship had turned sour and even hostile. Oh, no. Uh, totes suspish, right? Totes sus. Yeah, for sure. Totes sus. <laughs> On top of this, according to the Forensic Files episode, Joan and Peter had life insurance policies, hello, mm-hmm. totaling over a million dollars. And apparently, Christopher sought investment advice from a financial counselor at BB&T before the murders, saying he would be receiving millions of dollars from a relative, quote, soon. Okay, great. Yeah. He also wrote an email to Peter before his death, responding to his father's concerns that Chris had not paid the IRS uh, the 300-something dollars he owned. Mm -hmm. So his dad was like, hello, like you've got to submit your payment. According to CBS, Peter had also recently discovered that Christopher had forged his signature as a co-signer in order to obtain a car loan and a $31,000 school loan. Wow. This email was on the Forensic Files episode, and it's just, it's strange. Sure. It says, quote, yo, pops, I paid it last week. I'm sure there is some delay, and that's why you got the notice. I was waiting for my new credit card to come through, dot, dot, dot. If I could, could I have you and mom's social security numbers and your New (gasps) York State driver's license numbers? I need them for paperwork related to financial info for next semester. Hope you're having a good day. Love, Chris. Weird. It's like a mix of like super casual with like super professional. Right. I'll need them for next semester's financial information for my college tuition. What? Like what? Honestly, based on this email, I can only say for sure at this point that he was guilty of one thing. Tell me. This email is horribly constructed and the capitalization errors and like complete lack of punctuation are the real crime. That's all I'm saying. I'm I'm there though. Like I understand, I empathize with him in that respect. Um, And that is why any sort of writing you guys see for this podcast whether it be descriptions bios whatever it's done by grace i'll, I'll send her a draft and she'll be like great start but let me uh take a little stab at it she always makes sure to uh compliment me at the beginning but then like changes it which it needs to be changed i mean i i do a very rough go at it uh but i'm thankful <laughs> For her input, because, wow, you guys would be, you would assume I'm probably 13 years old writing the stuff I write for this podcast. You can probably tell in my cases, but whatever. Welcome to Womona Meets Mystery. <laughs> my name's Melissa. I'm Melissa. <laughs> I'm Grace. I have a vicious murder for you today. <laughs> I mean, that's basically, yeah. Oh my God, it's true. Um, 
No, but like horrific. It, like he says, love Chris. There's no comma, and his name is ca- lowercase. Mm. I'm like Ariana Grande. Who? Honestly, literally. Oh my gosh. He gets. He got the lowercase aesthetic. That's a, that's hey, his thing. It's a trend. So I, okay. I want to say that his questioning about the financial info for, quote, next semester Mm -hmm. struck his parents as odd, considering Chris had flunked out of Rochester (gasps) and community college instead of using his loan money, which was the result of falsified documents. He used it for a trip to Europe and a new yellow Jeep, which will become important. Wow. Yeah. He sucks. Yeah. Mm. So I, obviously this picture is forming and it doesn't look good for Chris. Mm-mm. The boy's pants are on fire. I'm telling you. <laughs> liar, liar. Problem was, other than the fact that Chris is a stinker, you know, <laughs> there was no physical evidence. Yeah. There was not blood found in Christopher's yellow Jeep. And there was no recording of vehicle his vehicle passing through the tolls on the route from Rochester to his parents' okay. home the night of the murder. If the glove does not fit. You must acquit. Yes. Right. Investigators had little evidence to back up the lies, and these were all based on personal accounts from friends and family that said, yeah, no, Chris sucks. <laughs> that is until they checked campus security cameras. Oh. Chris drove a yellow Jeep Wrangler, and I've repeated that three times because it's important. Yes. Because it's a stupid ass color and to I make it. I can imagine I that in my head. I do know what that looks like, but I cannot picture the yeah. half brain falling out. Yeah, that is interesting. It sounds like he's the kind of guy to like want a lot of money and flaunt it and that is exactly yeah. what he's doing yeah it's not that's his pretty own, much his reputation course. yeah no it was because he forged his father's signature and it's from his tuition money mm. um so chris drove a yellow jeep wrangler that was distinguishable by its bumper stickers and a large mud stain great which all of the footage that i'm about to t- tell you about was captured on one night so obviously the mudstain's still there oh okay okay so i'm going to read you the timeline that law enforcement has since been able to put together and this is all courtesy of cbs news okay okay 10:30 p.m chris's jeep is caught on camera driving around rochester university campus in a parking lot mm-hmm. this initially lines up with chris's claims that he never left campus that night 10:36 p.m the same yellow jeep is captured heading east by a surveillance camera from an off-campus medical center. That was quick. (laughs) Six minutes later. (laughs) 10.45 p.m., New York State Thruway toll collector John Fallon recalls giving a ticket to a young man driving a yellow Jeep with large tires. Mm -hmm. I can, I know he has a small penis. I don't even have to ask. Yeah, the large (laughs) tires did it for me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um... 1.51 a.m. near Albany, another collector thinks she may have seen Chris speeding into her lane at exit 24. Exit 24 off the New York State Thruway is only nine miles from 36 Broccoli Drive, better known as the Porco family home. It is at 2.14 a.m. that police believe Christopher deactivated the burglar alarm using the code known only to the family and then smashed the keypad in an attempt to hide that he had touched the Oh, interesting. Thing, okay. Which is embarrassing because the data from the alarm was stored in a computerized box in the basement, so smashing the keypad didn't mean shit. No, no, no. Maybe he was trying to get rid of, like, his DNA, like fingerprints. Yeah, but, like, otherwise, officers have a reason to be- – they have reason to believe that someone entered the code at 2 a.m. to de- – to deactivate the alarm oh, okay. which like why would you do that in the middle of the morning yeah. unless you're someone's breaking in right right and they knew that the only people who knew the code were joan peter yes. jonathan okay, so it had to be someone christopher. that knew, knew the code yeah 
Yeah. And I should have, I should mention this. Jonathan was literally fucking underwater on a submarine at this okay, time. Yeah. So, so I was going to see where he comes into the story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So 2.14 a.m., they think he smashed the keypad. They then believe Christopher grabbed the axe from his parents' garage and snuck upstairs, catching a sleeping Joan and Peter by surprise. 4.54 a.m., the phone company records indicate that the phone line was cut to the Porco's house, and police think this is around when Chris left, just after staging the house to appear as if an outsider had entered and why, committed the attack. Why is cutting the phone lines important? Why did he do that? I think it was so in case one of them woke up, they couldn't call 911. I think that was the idea. Yep, that makes sense. That's sad. And remember that thumbprint they found on the phone box? Mm-hmm. They were, apparently it didn't have enough matching points to prove one way or another that it was Christopher's. So they weren't, it was, it was kind of like an unclear print. At 5.12 a.m., Christopher's yellow Jeep is spotted getting back onto the New York State Thruway headed toward Rochester. Well, well, well. And at 8.30 a.m., the Jeep is captured again on camera heading back onto campus. Hmm. When questioned about the footage, all Chris had to say was, quote, the surveillance cameras on campus don't show me going to the Thruway. They don't show me going home. They show me going off campus. If I wanted to do something like this, if I wanted to sneak home on the Thruway, why would I take a big yellow car? I mean, that makes no sense to me, end quote. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it literally makes no sense, but I feel like he's dumb enough to do it. Right. And um, that was all from CBS. Thank you so much, CBS. Love you. Love you. <laughs> um, as they're forming their case, Chris's lawyers were really banking on Joan not changing her mind again. This is the foundation for their defense, that his mother is standing by him. And they declare also that if Chris were to attack someone with an axe, he would certainly have blood all over him, given the amount of blood at the scene. Yeah, we're in his but car. But since there was... Yeah, since there was no blood in or outside Chris's Jeep or on Christopher, he didn't do it. Christopher had done some work at a veterinarian's office. Prosecutors theorized that maybe he had worn scrubs that he had obtained from work and then destroyed them or like burned them or something mm-hmm. before he got in his car. There's no proof for that, but it's, it's just a theory. Yeah. There's a photo on the drive, Marissa, mm-hmm. of Joan walking with Chris into the courtroom. Um, there's also a before and after moment with Joan's face. She's still standing by this fucking asshole even though he is on trial for the attack that oh killed her husband and left her gosh. permanently disfigured. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Wow. It makes me really sick, honestly, like the fact that she's supporting him and he's letting it happen. Yeah. That's manipulation. I mean, if if he was guilty. I, I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah. That's why I called it a solved case because I'm, I'm pretty sure. And he ended up being convicted and we'll – Get to oh, that okay, in a good, second. good, good, good. Despite efforts to corroborate Chris's alibi, the nine fraternity brothers that the defense called in to protect him, uh, they all say, no, Chris wasn't on campus that night. <gasps> good. Thank goodness they're yeah. being honest because I feel like a lot of those. Yeah. I'm not going to say any name, but a lot of those kinds of <laughs> brothers would uh, absolutely lie uh, until their graves for those yeah. kinds of brothers. And they said, brotherhood be damned. <laughs> yeah, good. After seven weeks, the jurors took only six hours to come back with a unanimous verdict. Christopher Porco was found guilty in the murder of his father, Peter Porco, and the attempted murder of his mother, Joan Porco. Good. He was sentenced to 50 years to life and is currently serving his sentence at the Clinton Correction Facility in Dannemora, New York. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's my case. Oh my gosh, that's, oh my gosh. Okay, well, I'm glad he's convicted because I absolutely think he did it. 
Um, but yes. I, I, I do find it interesting. They don't have solidified evidence that he did it. They just have yeah. the fact that the mother said he did it with half her brains out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that they really just relied on that. I mean, she knows her son. She knows him well. It's not like a stranger saying, oh, it was this guy. Yeah. You know, that's less True. reliable. But she she knows him very well. And I think given the background the with him and his family, it yeah. was, yeah. Well, that um, was a crazy case. And my stomach is a little nauseous thinking about it. Oh, God. I'm sorry. No, you're good. I'll just watch some Bob's Burgers and eat some bread after this. And I think I'll be yes. good. Yes. You know? Detox. Yeah, luckily, yes. uh, Marissa's mystery this week, my mystery, uh, is not so scary. It's more interesting. So. Ooh. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. So today I'll be talking about England's most mysterious monument. It's in okay. the pyramids of ancient Egypt, and it's a bunch of rocks in a circle. Do you know what it is? Stonehenge. Yes, it's Stonehenge. Stonehenge. <gasps> <gasps> Exciting. Okay. Stonehenge is located in Salisbury Plain in England, and archaeologists believe that it was built by ancient Britons, whatever that is, in several stages more than 5,000 years ago, around 2500 BC, with no written record of what it is and why it's there. Wow. The first archaeological investigation of Stonehenge dates back to the the 1660s, not the 1960s. (laughs) That'd be real recent. I'd hope they'd have evidence then. But it was first surveyed by John Aubrey back in the 1660s. Since then, Stonehenge has been studied a lot and it has been determined that the monument took more than a millennium to build and was more what? than 20 million hours in production. Ew. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> the, the timeline of Stonehenge <laughs> uh, in its simplest form was... First, it started as a ditch, and then there were some wooden posts, then some smaller stones, and then some larger stones to round it out. So according to National Geographic, around 3000 BC, it was just a circular bank and a ditch that was supposedly dug out by tools like sharpened deer antlers. And if you know how big Stonehenge is, it's it's like, it's big, it's huge. I can't imagine a bunch of dudes just digging at the ground to make a perfectly formed circle or half circle uh, out of deer antlers. In 2600 BC, they say that there were wooden posts where the current stones sit, and those wooden posts were replaced by 80 dolerite blue stones, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, from Wales, which is over 100 miles away from Salisbury Plain. And 43 what? of those 80 dolerite blue stones remain today. Aren't the aren't the um bro, uh, bro, I said I said rebels and I meant <laughs> I meant rocks and I thought pebbles. So yeah, 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 yeah. Radio rebel. <laughs> no, um, no. Are the are the rocks like? Aren't they enormous? Like the size of a building? Like yes, how do they? I. I'm going to get to that. I'll tell you exactly okay. how much they weigh. Um, wow. But those stones that were there, those 80 stones, were rearranged more than three times once the largest stones, which are known as sarsen stones, were added 100 years later. So they got these blue blue stones, 80 of them, and then they brought in the large stones 100 years later and they decided, oh, this is ugly. Let's rearrange it. Me every 10 months in my house. <laughs> 
literally literally i'm like i currently my bedroom is arranged in a way that i'm like this is really serving me this is great i love it yeah but Um, then like and then i'm gonna hate it yeah i'll have like a mental (laughs) breakdown and be like i need new space yeah which uh, that's the only reason that i question so much astrological shit is because i'm a taurus and supposedly i hate change yeah okay I but I love to rearrange my room. That was me in high school, like rearranging my room every month. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes! Or like new decor, painting it. Yeah, oh, classic feng shui, feng shui, and all that shit. Yeah, as if I know anything about that. I'm like, mom, it's for the feng shui, please. <laughs> Anyways, the stars, the sarsen stones that were added each weighed about 25 tons, with the largest weighing 40 tons, standing about 24 feet tall, which is like what. That's a ton of semi trucks, I assume. How the fuck? I don't know how to relate that to normal. I think <laughs> that's tw- that's twenty elephants because aren't an, isn't an elephant like two tons? Mm-hmm. It's twenty elephants. That, that sounds right to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll believe that. Uh, <laughs> the sarsen stones, which are those larger stones that came in, uh, they were actually transported about nineteen miles to create the outer circle you see in the structure. Uh, some of which mm-hmm. are formed in that iconic three-piece structure, which is called a trilithon. 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 Mm. It is called a trilithon. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. currently, there are about fifty sarsen stones that remain there today. So just imagine you know, 50, 24 ton, 24 feet tall stones that were transported 19 miles. And you're like, how the, how? Yeah. So obviously. This was before, this was before the wheel and all that shit. Oh yeah. So as Grace mentioned, you're asking how, well, what tools did they use to transport, carry the stones, lift them on top of one another? I mean, that's the part that freaks me out the most is the one that sits, you know, when they start in the tr- trilithon. What did I call it? Trilithon? Tr- trilithon? Yeah. yeah. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Those structures yeah, are freaking me out the most because they were able to, like, lift it somehow and get it on top of one another into this perfect what? kind of arc there. Uh, yeah. Well, unfortunately, we still don't know today how this happened, how it got built, how it was created. But wow. according to History.com… One longstanding theory is that Stonehenge's builders created sledges and rollers out of tree trunks to lug the blue stones, which were the smaller stones, from Wales. They then trans. Go ahead. It it what freaks me out the most is that someone had this idea, right? Like I should say, multiple someones Mm -hmm. because there's no way this was one motherfucker lugging all these, or just one person that's like, let's do this, and everyone's like, he he, yes, you. You see these, you see the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, you see these, um, you see these movies where people are like lugging giant rocks and there's like, like 50 men carrying it with ropes, right. you know, like that's what I think of. And it's like, you had to have at least 50 people on board with this crazy shit. Yeah. I mean, they say they transferred the stones onto rafts and floated them along the Welsh coast and then up the river Avon towards Salisbury Plain, which also blows my mind because similarly to having 50 people on board to lug these rocks, you also have to find a mechanism to be able to float something that is 24 tons, which I mean, granted with today's technology and whatnot, you know, we can fly airplanes, which are like crazy and massive which still doesn't make sense to me <laughs> i don't even want to talk about it if i think too much about it it makes my brain throb. literally i can't literally. do it and then i'll like never fly again but just thinking yes. back then like you mentioned i mean the wheel wasn't invented yet how did they yeah. how were they able to even float these things what 
Um, Jeez. Do you think it was like, it was like a budget meeting and they were like, okay, what are we going to do with these extra funds? Do we want to do Richard's stupid ass rock? Thing? Yeah, probably. I mean, I can't imagine. I How? Like what else, you know? Well, and Richard the was like, list. yeah. <laughs> Submit it to history.com. Yeah. They have a ton of theories. <laughs> Um, okay i'm sorry no you're good (laughs) alternatively they may have towed each stone with a fleet of vessels so like ships i guess but Ah. in a more recent hypothesis uh they say that they had transported the blue stones with supersized wicker baskets or a combination of bearings long grooved planks and teams of oxen I guess that's the plural what for the- ox. So yeah. think about it. What the fuck? Large wicker, wicker baskets. baskets? Yes, yeah, someone had to like, then create those wicker baskets. And that's how West Elm came to be. Oh my gosh, literally. I was just thinking like <laughs> Joanna Gaines would literally die to see those large wicker baskets. <laughs> for her cozy, chunky blankets. She Or Emily Mariko. I saw one of her videos where she like was showing her hampers that she had bought in oh anthropology. Oh my gosh, yes. And they're wicker and baskets. Like, you bought these because you can fit a fucking body in them. No, like, I'll why tell are they you so what, big? I'm going to need a wicker basket <gasps> that can carry a 24-foot tall, 25-ton rock for my laundry. <laughs> we just got a laundry <laughs> basket that has three separate hampers. One for oh, light, you got it? one for darks, and one for active wear, like Lululemon and stuff, because that is stanky. <laughs> that needs to be washed more often. <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah, but we got it. But I would die to have one of these wicker baskets because no. See, I don't. I don't ever sweat on purpose. I don't. I don't. I try not to. I try right, to avoid. Right. Right. Also, okay. I sweat. I sweat on accident all the time. I'm literally me right now. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. Uh, obviously, all of this seems a tad out of pocket. And also, I wanted to note the oxen that were carrying it. They claim, like, yeah, you know, sure, they have a bunch of these large animals that lug things nowadays. But I can't imagine how many oxen it would have taken to lug something of that yeah. stature. You know. Like, and how do you get them all, like, domesticated enough to be, like, you know, take this 19 miles? Yeah. You have to have the oxen's consent. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. They're in on the budget meeting. Hello. (laughs) You get a seat at the table. Anyways, there is another more widely believed theory that the stones were taken across the pond. (laughs) literally by glaciers <laughs> during one of the ice ages but then you could ask what? you know how did the glaciers deliver exactly amount exactly the right amount of stones it would take to build a perfect circle and you know? put them in the fucking sh- like shape wait is it saying the glaciers carried them and deposited them in a perfect arc was not in happening? a perfect arc no but it like deposited them in that region of land and then the people built it from there they're like oh look at i got gotcha. Wait, re- remind me when <laughs> let's get stoned. <laughs> <laughs> remind me um remind me where the rocks came from. Did, did they know? Yes, so the blue stones, the 80 blue stones came from Wales yeah. over 100 miles away, and then oh, the yeah, larger okay. star stones came from 19 miles away. They didn't specify okay. where though. Okay. Either way, that's a long distance. Yeah, and that's obviously crazy. with all of these theories, we don't know how Stonehenge was built. And now you're probably yeah. asking, who built it? I actually don't care. Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. And uh, we will see you guys next week. <laughs> and that was, and that, was <laughs> that was episode five of this fucking asshole. Right, we got to keep it short. 
Oh my gosh. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'd love to know. I'm dying to know. Yeah. Tell me. So here are some theories of who built it. According to the 12th century writer Joffrey of Monmouth, Stonehenge mm-hmm. was created by the famous wizard Merlin. Shut up, really? <laughs> it sounds crazy. I know, I know. But Joffrey <laughs> actually had a tale about King Arthur back in the day that was considered factual. So, I mean, people were kind of on board with this wizard that created Stonehenge. And his story basically went like this. He said that in the mid-5th century, hundreds of British nobles were murdered by the Saxons and buried them on Salisbury Plain, which, again, is where Stonehenge is located. Yeah. And to quote History.com, hoping to create a memorial to his fallen subjects, King Aurelius Ambrosius, I don't know if I said that right, Sure. Sent an army to Ireland to retire to retrieve a stone circle known as the Giant's Ring, which ancient giants had built from magical African blue stones. The soldiers successfully defeated the Irish, but failed to move the stones. So Merlin used his sorcery to spirit them across the sea and arrange them above the mass grave. Legend has it that Ambrosius and his brother <laughs> Arthur, King Arthur's father, are buried there as well. Wait, wait. <laughs> Did you say Arthur? Yeah, that's the name of King Ambrosius. Not brother, Arthur? Apparently. Not Arthur. No, but that's King Arthur's father. Keep up. King Arthur. <laughs> Arthur and his nerds at the Rhine I <laughs> The names don't differentiate much, so I'm a little confused, but that's the apparent, you know, quote. But wow. this okay. theory is not held true because Stonehenge predates Merlin the Wizard by thousands of years. So. Apparently in history, in the history timeline, Stonehenge was created much earlier than Merlin the Wizard came to be. But you think about it and you're like, wizards can live thousands of years, I assume. So why not? I I assume too. Right? I don't know. Okay. In the 17th century, archaeologist John Aubrey, as mentioned before, claimed that Stonehenge was the work of the Celtic high priests known as the Druids. People today who still identify as modern Druids continue to gather at Stonehenge for the summer solstice. However, in the mid-20th century, radiocarbon dating demonstrated that Stonehenge stood more than 1,000 years before the Celts inhibited the region, eliminating the ancient Druids as possible architects of Stonehenge. So that theory was ruled out. Weird. Yeah. Okay. Many modern historians and archaeologists today decided that several tribes of people contributed to Stonehenge, each developing a different phase of it. Bones and tools found on the site seem to support this hypothesis. Huh. The first stage was completed by Neolithic Agarians, who were likely... Agrarians, yeah. Yeah, who were likely indigenous to the British Isles. And then later, people agreed that groups with more advanced tools and a more communal way of life left their stamp on the site. Cool. And some have just suggested that they were immigrants from the European continent, but many scientists think that they were native Britons, as mentioned before, descended from the original Britons builders <laughs> yeah i literally can't talk today i don't know what's wrong with me i kind of have to go pee so i'm assuming that's probably messing with my brain but i don't like i'm not at the point where i have to like run off yet so i can hold it <laughs> we need to do some tongue twisters dude this is this whole peter piper picked up a stonehedge sarsen blue stones wait like everything in here is a yeah. tongue twister the teeth the lips the tip of the tongue yeah oh, anyways <laughs> Now as to the purpose of Stonehenge, a.k.a. why it was built, 
there's a pattern here. We have no clue. I mean, as to why it was built, how it was built, who built it. Truly, there's no clue. But there are a few interesting theories that I wanted to share. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, now I'm ready. Okay, cool. (laughs) Readjust. (laughs) Grab a drink. (laughs) Sit down. Okay. The first theory is that it was an ancient burial ground. So according to a new study, Stonehenge may have been originally created as a cemetery for the elite. Ew. Bone fragments were first exhumed (gasps) from Stonehenge more than a century ago, but archaeologists at the time thought they were unimportant and reburied them. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) I would keep those bones. Anyways. Murder. Murder. It was murder. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, literally, I think that's what they think it was. Wow. Now British researchers have re-exhumed more than 50,000 cremated bone fragments from where they were discarded, representing 63 separate individuals from Stonehenge. (gasps) So not 50,000 bone or bodies, but 63 (laughs) separate individuals is what they're assuming. Wow. That's a lot. That's kind of a lot. Right? And their analysis presented on a BBC documentary reveals that the people buried at the site were men and women in equal proportions with some children as well. Did they, like, did they determine cause of death or, like, that they died at, like, a young age or anything weird like that? Yes. So that'll come up in another theory. I'm sorry. Oh, the next theory. So... Get ready. Buckle in. Okay. (laughs) But the burials occurred in about 3000 BC, according to study researcher Mike Parker Pearson of the University College London Institute of Archaeology. Talk about a tongue twister. Okay. Yeah. And the very Parker Pearson. Pearson. And they say that the very first stones were brought from Wales at that time to mark the graves of these 63 individuals. Archaeologists also found a mace head and a bowl possibly used to burn incense, suggesting the people buried in the graves may have been high. We're stoners. Yeah. Wait, literally, I said may have been high. So, yes. (laughs) No, may have been in high religious or political positions. And when they opened the graves, they reeked of pajuli. (laughs) Yeah, back in the day, man, you know? Oh, you, my God. They're like, let's I just, like, it. mess with everyone's brains and make these super complex graves, and they'll be there for years and years and years for future amateur podcasters to theorize about. <laughs> um, the next theory suggests that Stonehenge was a healing place in the Stone Age. Ooh, so in okay. 2008, archaeologists Gregory... I think his name is. It might be uh-huh. Joffrey. Um, it looks like my thumbs had a little slip there. And House? it says <laughs> geography. So I don't think that's right. But archaeologist, we'll just call him Wainwright. That's his last name. And okay. Timothy Darville reported that a large number of skeletons recovered from around Stonehenge showed signs of illness or injury. <laughs> I have to really (laughs) articulate my words. You did a great job. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, The blue stones that are at Stonehenge did used to be known for their healing powers, which gives this theory a lot of credibility. Wait, so you said they were, okay, the first, I'm going back to the first Mm -hmm. theory for a second. You said 63 bodies, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Or are there 60, how many rocks are there? I'm sorry. I think you said it. Um, I forget. There's 80 little ones. I'm not sure how many big ones there are, but to the current date, there is, um, 43 of 80, the 80 stones remain today, and I don't know how many sarsen stones remain today. I thought I said 53, but I don't see that in my notes. And there's a lot Weird. of bullet points, and my eyes are getting um, hurt, so I'm not going <laughs> to 
it's yeah. weird because I picture it as like a circle of rocks and that's it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really I didn't realize there's oh, so many. Yes. Okay. So I didn't put it on the drive, but there's an original picture of Stonehenge and it's a complete circle of large stones on the outside and little stones on the inside. So it is a complete circle while even though today it's more of like a half circle with some stones missing. I'm looking it up. Yeah. I want to see a picture. Whoa. <gasps> oh, there's so many more than I thought. I'm sorry. Yes. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> Which yeah. makes it even more like, okay, how did they transport those stones? Because those aren't native stones to that area. So weird. It looks to me like it was some sort of ritual. Like there had to be like a ritual or something going on there. <sighs> Funny you mention it. It's in one of our next theories. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, oh. girl. You're you are very smart. You're a very smart young Thank lady. You you, you, you know, so take much. context clues and really really uh come to conclusions. And, and really interrupt it. you. No, I love it. Because it's giving me credit and <laughs> making me feel like, you know, okay, these theories make sense. Um, yeah. But another theory states that Stonehenge's circular design was created to mimic a sound illusion. Stephen Waller, a yeah. researcher in ar- archaeoacoustics, which I didn't even know was a thing, but I guess like what? That sounds cool. Historically, I don't know. I can't decide. Yeah, right. Like what? <laughs> uh, anyways, he says that if two musicians were to play their instruments in a field, a listener would notice a strange effect. I'm assuming the field he wow. meant was that field of Stonehenge, uh, but in certain yeah. spots, the sound waves from the dual pipes would cancel each other out, creating quiet spots. Oh, my God. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I've heard something about this, about Stonehenge, regarding, like, it being, like, an amphitheater. Like, they were yes. doing, like, plays and stuff. Yes. They so said that- um, there's a study that was released in May 2012, um, and they found mm-hmm. that the circle would have caused a sound reverb. Reverberation? Reverberation? Yeah. Reverberation? Rever- re- <laughs> reverb. Reverberation. Yes. That. Yeah. I know the short the short term for it reverb a sound yeah. reverb yeah similar to those in modern day cathedral or concert halls so yeah. you're right on the nose oh, there cool. uh, a different theory suggests that stonehenge was built with the sun in mind so one avenue mm. connecting stonehenge with a nearby river river avon uh, aligns mm. with the sun on the winter solstice so there is archaeological oh. evidence that reveals that pigs were slaughtered at Stonehenge in December and January, oh. suggesting possible celebrations or rituals at the monument around the winter solstice, which okay. I, I don't get it. Like, we don't have modern day rituals where we slaughter pigs, right? Um, Yeah, bacon. <laughs> I, I'm sure there are religions that um, that practice some level of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that in terms of like killing just to kill and to like as an offering to some sort of deity, I don't think that that people really do that anymore. I could be wrong. Yeah, it just amazes me that it was so common back in the day. Yeah, I think pretty widespread now that the belief is that something like that is is kind of satanic. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you sense. Know? I mean, we kill turkeys for Thanksgiving, but whatever. Yeah, it's kind of. I don't even eat days. turkey, so oh, really, yeah. the, te- the turkey's dying needlessly. Aww. Sorry. Well, okay. Oops. There's one last. <laughs> there's one last theory, um, and it's that Stonehenge was created as an ancient team building exercise. Shut <laughs> up. Well, trust fall. Yeah, trust fall? kind of. I mean, according to the University College London's. Peter Pearson, or whatever I said his first name was a while ago. I just whatever. says Pearson in my notes here. Um, yeah. According to him, the beginning of the site's construction coincides with the time of increased unity among the Neolithic people of Britain. 
Pearson suggested mm. in June 2012 that Stonehenge was perhaps inspired by the natural flow of the landscape, which seems to connect the summer solstice sunrise and the winter solstice sunset. These ancient, mm. ancient people may have came together to build the monument. I have a quote from Pearson. Tell me. Stonehenge itself was a massive undertaking, requiring the labor of thousands, just the work itself, requiring everything literally to pull together, would have been an act of unification. Which he's not wrong, but like, that's such a stretch. Like, uh, because it was so hard and so time consuming to build, it was a team building exercise. I'm sure for whatever team it was, was a team building exercise. You know what I mean? Like anything you do nowadays is a team building exercise. Eric and I doing the dishes. That's a team building exercise. <laughs> Me and my mom shopping. That's a team building exercise. You know what I mean? Like that's just too a weird theory to me. Two best friends making a podcast. That's a team building exercise. <laughs> I, you know, I still think like because it's so weird and like the rocks are in a random place. My theory is that it, it's some sort of meeting area. Like yeah. they had to have, I mean, like, like the first town hall, like kind of oh, like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and there has to be like a council or something like they had to have a meeting spot. And I'm my, the reason I think that too is because of the quiet spots that you mentioned. Yeah. I wonder if it's like for privacy, like if that was intentional. Yeah. Interesting. It, it that does, um, and it goes back to the theory, too, in my mind, that I think makes most sense is a concert hall or a cathedral. And even with those quiet spots, I mean, you need those in both of those places. So that way they can say, <laughs> go wash a baby. Women don't belong here. Yeah. <laughs> Men are making decisions. Yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the, there is one theory that I think explains it all because yeah. it explains everything that is unexplained. And that is aliens. <gasps> yeah i mean there's no proof or anything like that but it is just interesting <laughs> that you know these huge rocks appeared out of nowhere you know and, and i mean there's come on zero evidence yeah. but yeah let's yeah there's zero yeah. evidence for anything else i feel like i mean there's some bodies there but you it's know true. whatever and anyways, yeah. in all seriousness, Stonehenge was built in a time before the wheel was invented or any modern technology tools and trades. So I think it's yeah. extremely impressive for this monument uh, wow. for the time it was built and that it's still there today. And honestly, the origins will probably forever be a mystery. Yeah. So wow. get used to it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you liked episode five. A Me whole too. hand. We are a whole hand old. Isn't that exciting? Oh my God. That was really cute. <laughs> That's what I say to all my like young. Okay, I don't have any young kids, but if I was babysitting <laughs> or, um, you know, cousins and stuff, I'm like, you're a whole hand. Or when they turn ten, oh two God. whole hands. That's so cute. It? But it was fun. I really like it. I I told my mom. By the way, I hope this episode didn't freak everybody out because my. I told my mom about the case and I was like, yeah, I'm doing an axe murder. And she goes, get it together, people. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if they're scared from just that, they, I, I can't imagine that's our target audience. You know, I'm sure they're ready for a bunch more spooks. And that's creeps, true. So. They're like, she didn't talk about death nearly enough. <laughs> oh, gosh, please. No, not um, enough people died. <laughs> Well, <laughs> if you guys wish to request a case in which more people die or uh, maybe something scarier than Stonehenge, feel free to DM us at where murder meets mystery on Instagram or email us at where murder meets mystery at gmail.com. Yes, we can't wait to hear from you and get your suggestions. 
Yeah. And let's diddly do it. Let's diddly do it. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>